0: Today, Christina led me through my story from my adventurous childhood through my long bout with addiction, leading me to where I am today. I hope you all enjoy.
1: All right, Tyler, you're in the hot seat now. So we recorded my podcast about my story and I thought it'd be really fitting for us to sit down and maybe talk about your story. So why don't we just kind of open it up and you let us know what was it like to be Tyler in, you know, those elementary school years to high school years? Tell me, tell me about your story.
0: Oh man. So yeah, what what was it like to be me It was really interesting, and it still is. Um, So, like, once I got to be about five, I started in kindergarten pretty much, you know, how anybody would normally, and I was actually, I wouldn't, I guess I would just say I was pretty mean growing up, especially when I was younger. I don't know exactly what it was inside of me, but my dad always taught me, you know, to stand up for myself and to stand up for others. And so I took that to heart and I did that. So, you know, looking back on it, I feel like in a way I was kind of the bully's bully because that's usually who I went after in school. But also I would get in fights with my friends and everything else. And in kindergarten, I got in trouble a lot and up in, through first grade and just throughout, you know, elementary school up until probably fifth or sixth grade and kind of got lined out a little bit better with stuff. But um, in my really early years, I was really quick to fight and I actually enjoyed it. And I remember my mom coming to the school and picking me up several times and and even her crying sometimes because i would be getting in fights and you know i would get swats at school and i don't even know if they still do that anymore i know it's controversial but um, that i certainly got my fair share of them and um they didn't seem to affect me too much so i just carried on in my ways but what's interesting is by the time you know i was 11 or 12 i got into sports quite a bit and fighting kind of slowed down i Think I somewhere in between there kind of exchanged my, my. You know, willingness to to want to fight or get into it with with somebody else for uh, for the excitement of you know going after girls or playing playing sports. So my focus went to baseball and basketball and and girls that I liked and not so much fighting. And so that was pretty much through junior high. And then I got into high school and, and the trend kind of continued, you know, we had a little bit of what I'd call fun back then, you know, drinking and partying, but nothing too excessive. I I still did pretty good in school and it was a smaller community. So everybody was close and everybody was kind of knew everybody else's business and everything. And I really feel like I had a good experience through high school. I think I was, um, in between like, you know, the, the cool, you know, jocks and the nerds, like I I had friends in in both areas and I felt comfortable around both of them and, and like to hang out. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, in a smaller community, you don't have um it's not as clicky, you know, because there's not as many people, so I think a lot of people in a smaller community would say they hung out and got along with all kinds of different groups of of people with different interests and everything just because there's a limited amount of people to hang out with so I think through high school it's pretty normal for me, and after high school, things kind of took a turn um and start to get a little bit interesting.:
1: Yeah, and, and let's hold off on the after high school because I you know something came up for me that I, I do want to kind of backtrack and ask. Um, I wrote this down, and I said, where were there any unmet needs that may have provoked the anger of the' fighting at such a young age? Do you think that that stemmed from somewhere, or was that just kind of maybe your inner warrior trying to express itself?
0: I think it was more like I was really ram, rambunctious and um, I did, I loved to run around the woods. I actually, when I was about seven, I found a machete um, stuck in the side of a creek bed. And so I, I pulled that thing out and I had it for a long time, but I would run through the woods with it. I, and now I think about it, I'm like, God, I wonder what that machete was doing there or what it might've been used for. It probably wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the best idea. Best idea take it but i did and i claimed it and i had a lot of fun with it and i i just kind of think it was my inner warrior and all my energy and i wasn't sure what else to do with it and then you know i I got the the go-ahead to like you know you always stand up for yourself
1: right i tell my children all the time that um you know life is all about learning maybe what is a better choice uh than And it's not that something's wrong with them, you know. They're they're learning. This is the foundation of learning. Um, did you have any elders or anybody kind of guiding you through this process to kind of help you with those choices, or were you kind of were you kind of stubborn like me and didn't listen to anybody?
0: I think most of us as kids don't listen very well. Like I, I've heard my dad repeat some stuff, you know, when I've been older, and I'm like, why didn't I pick up on that when I was younger? So I, I think, right. you know, um, I didn't have, I had the people there to talk to, but I wasn't seeking that, and they would talk to me, you know, and, and I did spend a lot of time with my grandpa, and even my great-grandparents for a while, and had a good relationship, you know, with them but um they didn't know of crazy little Tyler in school with the other little kids you know they just saw me with you know my cousins or a lot of times by myself with them and it was a completely different atmosphere and I kind of just fell right into you know the atmosphere around me I guess
1: that's beautiful so tell me about what happened after high school
0: So right around the time I graduated high school, I had been talking to this girl that hadn't seen me at one of the basketball games and watched us play and everything. And I, I really fell for her really quick. And I decided to go to the university because that's what some of my friends were doing, my closest friends. And I just felt like it was kind of the thing to do. And I was looking to go into like journalism and broadcasting, and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. But anyways, this girl that I was dating at the time lived about 100 miles away. And so it was a a hard balance for me to Monday through Friday to school and then drive 100 miles to her house and spend the weekend there. And then on top of that, I started picking up work in the oil field, and I was roughnecking, and I kept getting a like every month. I was getting like a dollar, two dollar an hour raise, and and finally, you know, that with with her being further away was enough for me to be like, oh, I don't want to go to school. I'm going to work for a while and and stay down there with her and stay in that area more often. And so that's kind of what happened. I dropped out of school, uh, spent more time with her, and started working full time and everything was going great and just a, a long story short like it really knocked me off my feet one day she was like i i don't think we should see each other anymore and then she pulled that you know it, it's nothing to do with you it's it's about me and and things just aren't lining up type of deal and it, it really hurt me and uh it, it made me sick like physically sick for two or three days and um it it really took it out of me and I think that's when I don't blame it on that but I think that's when I really started to take the turn which I think it was coming one way or another that's just like the the icing on the cake you could say to where it validated me to seek out you know behavior where I was partying a lot and hanging around a, a crowd that was very accepting, but also uh, they really like to try and and promote things that aren't so good for you in a lifestyle that, that seems fun for a little while, but ultimately, no matter how you look at it, um, it will come to an end in a bad way.
1: Right, right. And so talk to me about Talk to me about this journey that you began with addiction and maybe a little bit about the process and overcoming it and how, you know, this journey that you were on got you to where you are now.
0: So it started out as, let's see, I was probably the time I really started drinking a lot, I was probably around 21 and I I would party a lot. I would work, so I would work a, a week on and have a week off and my week at work would be nothing but work and then um, going to the hotel and sleeping and repeating. I would work like 84 hours in that week and then I would have a week off. So my week off, like, usually three to four sometimes even more nights a week you know would be about finding a party and drinking and um it it just felt good and it felt carefree I didn't have to worry about anything I just had fun um got drunk a lot you know that's when I, I started smoking cigarettes a lot and I I just really fell into that crowd and and that you know the parties led to to going to the bars and then you know eventually I was going to a party and then going to the bar and then going to an after party I don't know how many times I saw the sun come up but everybody always knew I could just keep going and keep drinking and and they would talk about it and they would act like it was such a blessing like I was so cool like I I was such a badass because I could I could drink so much and, you know, it led me to believe that, that I had something over everybody else and that I was better at it. And I thought like, you know, what, what was a blessing though? I I found out eventually really was a curse. So, you know, there became a point where everybody else started to move on with their life. And I just started to dig, dig myself further and further down into the hole to where, there didn't have to be a party going on or anything else going on you know i would drink in solitude
1: right and it's it's um it's so easy to do too because it becomes a sort of a habit i feel like i i wasn't a a drinker um i would drink at night but cigarettes were kind of like that for me i was really addicted to that relationship because it made me feel invincible despite the fact that I knew it was so terrible for me. It's like this really strange relationship of, I sometimes say it's kind of like a self-flagellation. Like I was purposefully punishing myself and I knew I needed to stop and I knew I needed to make a better choice because I had gotten to the point where I was wheezing. You know, I would take a deep inhale and you could hear my lungs. It was frightening. And I didn't stop because I thought I deserved that, you know. And so at what point um, did you reach out? Did you reach out for help? Like what was kind of the turning point for you? We may have talked about this in a previous podcast for anybody listening. But for those of you who haven't heard a little bit of the story um just sit tight with us and and we can we can get through it together
0: yeah so the this continued on for you know at least 15 years and you know i i it was kind of like a roller coaster it would i would you know get a little bit better and then get worse and i I lived in, in denial that I had a problem. I was just enjoying myself and having fun and it got me into some trouble. And, you know, I started getting into fights again and I was arrested a couple of times and, um, I had several, you know, little wake up calls that, you know, I needed to change, but I, I pretty much ignored them and just kept moving forward because I was enjoying it so I thought and it's funny what you find out you know you think you enjoy and then you get away from it and you actually find out what you do enjoy and it's like wow like what I was putting in my body was not making me happy and you have to get away from it for a while to realize that but it wasn't until I oh I was probably about 27 or 28. And I left everything behind and moved out to Western Oklahoma. And I lived by myself. And it got really bad there because I had zero accountability. And, you know, I had to make it to work in the morning. And that was a struggle. But I had it down to like a work of art of how much I could drink and how what my cutoff time would be. And when I could get up, and make it to work and hopefully not smell like alcohol. And I I did this for a long time and it turned into a nightly thing. It was really bad. And, you know, I'm not talking about drinking beer. Like I would go into panic attacks. If I thought the only thing I was going to have is beer, I would pace the house and think about, you know, how I could get the liquor because the beer wasn't going to do it anymore for me. And, you know, that, That was the problem here in Oklahoma. The liquor stores are closed on Sunday, and so I would purposely buy more on Saturday. Well, it usually wouldn't even make it to Sunday because I would drink all that I had. Like it it really got that bad, and you know, I, I was really, really lonely and desperate, and I felt like that alcohol had become my only friend so yeah that it's not a good feeling to feel like you have to have a a substance from the outside to make you feel whole on the inside and i i was so empty on the inside and it it was because i was numbing myself with the alcohol and you know, that like I said, it carried on for about 15 years and I finally I had moved back home and I had dated a few girls in between here and there and, and some of them added to the problem, some of them tried to help with it, and ultimately pretty much all the relationships failed because of of my lack to to stop drinking and to try to hide it and you know, I, I, like, I, I was so into thinking that I had to have the alcohol that I would get, I would purposely try to, like, not be around them so I could drink, because alcohol became the most important thing in my life, and, you know, it happens to people every day, and, and millions of people go through this, and You know, I I always thought I was alone, and then I finally started to, to seek help and go to groups, and that's when things started to change a little bit for me.
1: I would like to just pause for a moment and just take a collective, like, deep breath. And just say, thank you for sharing that part of your story. Um, that took a lot of courage. So thank you for sharing. And when we are in the depths, there is a loneliness, um, that I know a lot of us have experienced, we've, we've, there's many of us and I'm sure listening that have really been there, I've been there and. It's our hand that pulls us back out, isn't it? Now, it's not to say that we don't have other people grabbing that hand on the other side. We got to grab our own hand. And I'm really proud of you for coming out of that. I listened to a podcast yesterday and they said something along the lines of, and I'm going to butcher it, but just bear with me. And it said something along the lines of that a lot of people don't have a spiritual connection and they deeply are craving it and they will turn to alcohol because what's alcohol called spirits right and what's interesting is when we begin to form a spiritual relationship we find that we don't need the spirit of alcohol as much would you say that that do you kind of agree with that what do you feel about that
0: yeah I think spirituality is very important and if somebody doesn't have a practice of that regularly um, you're gonna be more likely to run into problems and and have stuff like that creep up on you because you want to feel different you want to feel that connection and you can find that Through spiritual work. But as humans, we're impatient and we want the immediate effect. So, somebody wants to feel different. Oh, they can do it with drugs or alcohol in a heartbeat. But whenever you sit back, you know, everybody knows great things take time and work on this practice and get outside of your head a little bit and just try to listen. Um, to what your body and your soul's trying to speak to you, and have some quiet time, you can you can really change the the way you feel and the and the way you think. And so, how this kind of came to an end for me at first was, I got up one morning and was brushing my teeth, and I looked in the mirror. And I looked down immediately. I couldn't look myself in the eyes. And and I was like, oh my God, how many years has it been since I actually looked and been like, who are you? And just stared at myself. And I couldn't do it because I was so disappointed in me. And I did not like who I had become. And that's when it, it really hit me the first time. And I was like, I have to make a change. And so I decided to just quit drinking, and I got some advice that I should, like, go to rehab or or detox in the hospital, or, or, you know, at least have somebody around, and I was like, no, I'm just going to do it all on my own. And, And when you said the word spirit and related it to alcohol, this is what brought it up, because the first night that I quit drinking, I didn't even make it all the way through the night, and... I started having hallucinations. I was turning and tossing in bed and I was seeing spiritual figures and I got up out of bed and I was really freaked out. And then I looked up and one was like right there in front of my face. And it scared me so bad that I threw my hands back. My feet slid out from underneath me. I went to catch myself and I actually broke my hand. I broke um Like I broke the center bone that runs down to the finger, which is your metacarpal. And I dislocated three fingers like they were all pointing different directions and everything. And out of panic, I saw my fingers and I just pulled them all straight without even thinking, which was not a good idea. And this was probably about two or three in the morning. I called my mom and, you know, she was all freaked out and think, thought that I had been drinking. And I was like, no, this is the first night I haven't been drinking. And you can't really convince somebody of that after you've been drinking every night for 15 years. So she did come and help me and took me to the ER and they put me on some medication to help with that. But so I I was able to stay away from it for a little while. And um, I'd been going to AA a little bit, and then I had uh, found out about Celebrate Recovery, and I was going there some, and I met some people there that I really liked, and so I had managed to make it a little while, but then I fell back in the hole again, and ended up going to rehab in California for two months, and that really helped me, and kind of gave me the tools to, to work with, to continue to to try to stay sober, but ultimately that that lasted about six months after I left. And I think rehab is, can be great, but I, and I'm not trying to knock it, but people need to remember it's a false reality. You're there, you know, for two, three, even six months sometimes, and you don't have to work most of the time. And you get to do fun group activities and work on yourself. So, you know, you really need to be, after you're there for a little while and you're clean, you need to start thinking about a game plan of how you're going to handle this when you get back out into the world.
1: Yeah, and actually what what I just like kind of made a connection with is, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, like plant medicine journeys. People will go, you could say like down to the Amazon and do this. Have this spiritual experience, right? They have all these revelations, their joint pains gone, chronic conditions disappear, and they're riding that wave for weeks and sometimes months. But without a plan or proper integration back into society, this is what happens. You, if you don't have accountability, community, and integration, will fall back into old patterns of behavior.
0: Yeah. And, and they, they try to set some of that up there, but nothing can prepare you for the experience except the experience itself. So that, that was a tough part for me. And I came out of rehab and I stayed sober about six months. And then I fell back in, into it again because I wasn't following proper steps. I did not have that accountability group that I was going too often enough to to help me out and eventually i did find myself back in school and out of the oil field so that was a, a step in the right direction and that's when i got into nursing school and it, it took up some of my time and and you know my drinking lessened but i i still did it way too much and i was still I'm fortunate and very lucky that that I was able to get through school and make that happen. But that that led me um into my final climb, I think, out of my addiction, which was I, I put more time into celebrate recovery and um You know, I I used to be in a band and was a drummer and stuff. And so I, I started playing drums for them. I got up the courage to be in front of people without drinking. And that felt really good. So at this point, I was seeing, you know, a few benefits and that I could actually live without having to have it a little bit. And I had did, I've completed three 12 steps now. But at that time, I had started the first one around that time. And then on top of that... Um, when I went to nursing school, I met my future wife, so that, I think that had a little bit of impact.
1: I think so, too.
0: (laughs) But, you know, she, and I, I was pretty quiet about my problem. I did kind of open up to her and say, look, I'm, I'm getting better, but I'm not well. And, uh, we dated for quite a while. And then she, after school, you know, I, I kind of fell off a little bit because I didn't have that accountability and, and that, uh, challenge of school. And, you know, finally one day, and she had, uh, a daughter that was, she was 13 or 14 at the time. And she told me, she's like, I, I love you. And, She was like, but right now, what I'm seeing is you becoming another kid for me to raise. She said, I wanted somebody to help me
1: raise mine. I didn't want another kid. And you talk about boom.
0: Love love a mother. God, that hit deep. I can barely even talk about it now. And it just, like, it felt like my heart stopped and my stomach started hurting. And after that, I started to push even harder and say, I could do this, I could do this. And I knew that if I didn't, that I would lose her and her daughter, too, who had become very dear to me. And I knew that I wasn't here to, to get drunk and to live a short life and to die young because I chose alcohol over life. And so, whatever it may be, that you know, it can be food, it can be cigarettes, any type of drug you know, anything or any, any addiction that's going to impact you negatively that you can't get away from, don't give up your life for that. Don't do it. It's not worth it. And you think while you're in the middle of it, that that's the best for you, that you only feel good then. You're not addicted to it because you, you just enjoy the way it makes you feel. You like it. And then you get away from it and you give yourself time, several months, if not even a year, but give yourself that time. Your brain is screwed up. I'm not going to lie to you. Even if it's a food addiction, your brain's going to be messed up. You're going to start eating healthy. You know, your electrolytes and your vitamins and I mean, your blood work's going to come back all wacky if it's from a... You know, food addiction, you know, it could be sugar or anything like that. Um, And especially with drugs and alcohol, the, the chemical changes it makes in your body and the impact it has in the flow of dopamine to your brain. These things take time because I was talking about feeding your body from outside source. Well, that's what you're doing with the food, with the alcohol, with the drugs. You're bringing that in to make your body feel good. And it produces these reactions. And with drugs and alcohol, they produce their own level of dopamines. And your body's like, ooh, like I don't have to work to produce these anymore. I'm getting them from something else. And so you cut off that source, and you gotta give your time, your body, time to start building those levels back up on its own. And you know, if you're in an addiction for even a year you say like mine 15 years, like, okay, I was doing that for 15 years. Should I really expect to feel great in a month or two? No, that's crazy. You can't climb out of a hole you dug for 15 years in one month. You, you can't do it. Now you can do it leaps and bounds. And, you know, I've only been sober 25% of my adult life. And in that 25% of time, I've done probably 1000 more percent than the 75% of the time I spent drunk. So you might have to think about that. And I think you should think about that. Once you start to feel better, you give yourself that time, you'll realize like, oh my God, I actually feel good now. And I thought that the drugs were making me feel good or the alcohol is making me feel good. No, it was just covering up how bad you felt. If you're in that deep of depression, you're not going to realize it until you come out of it and you start to feel good again. And that's the problem. People have not felt good in so long, they forget what it felt like to feel good. And they think when they have a decent day that they feel good, and they're not even at the tip of the iceberg because people aren't taking care of themselves. And
1: I would also offer that, you know, we have a struggle, a lot of us feeling things that feel bad. And so if we're not feeling what might not feel good, it prevents us from feeling good, right? And this is kind of like the medicine I work with when I serve cacao to people in circles right now is encouraging you to be open to feeling uncomfortable because when we start to open back up and feel again it's normal to be in pain it's normal to be uncomfortable but it's also normal to be in ecstasy and joy right and so life isn't just one direction we have quite a few but opening oneself up to feeling the things maybe we haven't had practice with i think that really is like kind of the foundation of it is sitting with other people who can help you through the uncomfortable periods because you know there are ups which are the well i would say the up part of the roller coaster (laughs) you know what's coming the roller coaster is going to come down and it's going to be so much fun right but we got to get up you know what i mean
0: Yeah. yeah
1: so and the thing the thing i wanted to like say congratulation on too is that you chose love at the end of the day you chose love and what a better what like the best choice we can make in this lifetime right yeah love can heal like all wounds
0: say love chose me love chooses everybody though you just have to be willing to accept it and let it in you know and that comes to another point you know I always thought nobody uh, believed in me like that they didn't expect me to come out of this had gotten so bad and and really what I found out is that I didn't believe in myself and I come to that realization and then you know I would go to celebrate recovery or AA or something like that and I'd look around the room and see all these people in there that were there because they they believe in everybody that comes in that room and they know everybody has a a chance at it and so it was me putting that into my head and it was me not believing in myself so you look look in the mirror and say is this what I want to be am I happy with this And in my case, it was choosing alcohol over everything else in life or choosing everything else in life over alcohol. It seemed pretty clear um, to me what would be the better route. And it's hard. And it's still been hard. And you can have times where it'll creep up on you, but it, it will get easier and it has gotten easier. And you start to see all these benefits that you have without it. And it really makes it hard to go back to that thing. And it really, like, if I have that little demon pop up in my head, I can just snap my fingers, basically, and and it can be gone. If if you don't feed it, you know, there's so many other directions, so many other different things that I can look at and things that I can do that I I couldn't do with alcohol. So I can bury it pretty quick.
1: Well, and I would, I would also offer that, you know, the, the shadowy parts of our being are always going to be there. It's never going to go away and to just accept it, accept that this is a part of the journey. There's going to be thorns when we're walking the path, you know, and we just, we just walk around and we say, thank you for protecting whatever you need to protect, but I'm good. And we just keep on going.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And so how about um, to conclude our little story time here, which has been delightful, Tyler. um, I would like to ask through all that you have been through, do you have any words of wisdom that you would like to share? Mm, Yeah, a
0: lot of what I just said, I think. For the past 10 or 15 minutes, I've said a lot of things that have just popped up to me and and come from my heart, from my soul. And I think it's worth a double take for a lot of people to, to really let some of that set in. But number one, don't give up. Don't accept that that's who you are. If that's not what you want to be. And, you know, you'll be told, well, addiction is a mental illness. And it is. And you'll be told, well, you know, it's not your fault. But that doesn't mean you can't do anything about it. Because nobody, you know, unless somebody's tied you down and is forcing you to do it. You know, you're the one that's sticking the needle in your arm. You're the one that's snorting something up your nose. You're the one that's tilting the bottle back. Don't sit there and blame it on something else. Whenever you're the one looking at, looking right at it, you know, you can choose to throw it out the window or you can choose to put it in your body. No matter what anybody tells you or anybody says, like, it's not your fault. At the end of the day, yeah, you have something to do with it. You know, it's time to step up and it's time, time to climb that mountain. Like, it's not going to be easy. And, but the reward. And if you can overcome something like that, when life throws you other things, you're ready you may not feel that way but you look back and be like oh i beat addiction like what are you gonna throw at me now that's right like what whatever it is you know and it can be some tough things but you you've got that under your belt then you're carrying a a really really tough belt
1: that's right i think the the one of the hardest things for me was when i threw away my last pack of cigarettes and there were still cigarettes in it i mean if anybody has ever been a smoker (laughs) it's like a sin it's a sin and i remember that feeling inside of me like okay i I cannot do this anymore and it is it's like um it's like a little girl scout badge like I earned a badge of honor you know and I, I think that there is something to that also now that I'm saying it like I'm sure in the recovery groups which I have never been to one I probably should go it'd be really nice perspective for me but you know having some sort of a uh non non non-addictive substance reward for yourself you know um like a sticker or just like words of affirmation or just a hug from a loved one because that can really be a really good motivator i love that yeah and so i would just like to uh conclude with tell us just a just a quick little blurb about maybe um what are you doing nowadays? what What's your passion? Maybe the path that you're walking on now with all this life experience in your bag.
0: So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was just thinking about that. We probably should end this story at where I'm at now. You know, I, I've moved on from the the alcoholic Tyler. I still have that mindset sometimes, but I take that energy and apply it to other parts of my life. And I'm like, if I could juggle everything and manage to get drunk and most of the time keep a job, that wasn't always the case. But if I had put all that effort into screwing myself up, what would happen if I put all that effort into making myself better? And so I kind of took that perspective and I ran with it. And so after nursing school, I was scared to get into that field. I had been in the, you know, rough and tough oil field, you can call it, and vertical labor. And then here I am, you know, dressed in scrubs gonna go take care of somebody and have to have a light touch and have to talk to people and you know it was kind of scary and so who I met in nursing school that became my girlfriend, my fiance, now my wife, she had gotten a job and had been working at this place for a while. And I really did not see myself getting into to long-term care, to like nursing home stuff. And she was doing that, and I thought, well, if I could work with her, I would be a a little bit more comfortable. And so the opportunity came up, and I went ahead and made that jump and started doing it, and it was tough, and I felt like I wanted to quit, I wanted to give up, and I would think about all the hard work and everything that I put into it to get to that point, and I knew that I deserved and that it deserved a little bit of time because it was such a big change for me. And so I, I stuck with it. And now I've been doing that over three years now. And um, I, I've worked at a couple of different places and in a diff- different scenarios and stuff like that. But I really love it so fulfilling to me so I've just been sober four years now and I became a nurse and I make pretty good money in between me and my wife now we've managed to save up enough and to qualify for a loan so we're building a home together say our daughter now because she is my daughter um able to to allow her to live here with us which is great and she's in college now Uh, she does really really good she's carrying a 4.0 which is awesome and I get to be a part of all that and now you know I I have a good career that I like um I have the best wife that I could even dream of, and and daughter, and it's just it really really fills me up, and you know that's what led me into holistic health too because I was like I feel so good, so full of love. And how much further can I take this? Like, can I keep feeling better? I mean, you're going to have days where you don't. But in the grand scheme of things, I, I think you can keep changing little things one by one and continue to build on it. So I looked into holistic health, which is where you try to connect different aspects of your body and make it whole and so essentially you you look at your spirituality you know your physicality and your brain like your mental functioning how you think your thought process and that's where i think a lot of people should start as a thought process so that led me into school for that and So I got certified to be a holistic health coach. I'm able to help people through that method. And I also started the Sobrietist, where I can provide those services to people. I um, coach people into building muscle and losing weight and to eating properly, Um, teaching them how to to look at the foods at the grocery store and know if this is good for them or bad for them and try to help them just one step at a time, one day at a time, overcome some of their obstacles. And I try to give them the tools to do that. And that's been very fulfilling as well. So basically, I in the time I was sober, to sum it up, I got married to a wonderful person. I have a daughter. I have a job. I have my own company. I'm building a house. And I'm getting better every day. I can do amazing things physically. I'm almost 40 years old, and I can do stuff that I couldn't do when I was 20. So I don't want anybody out there telling me it's too late, or they can't change, because you can, and quit blaming it on other things, you know, circumstances can make things more difficult, but that's only more of a reason, and you should use that for motivation, not validation to do wrong, to do what's bad for you, use it as motivation to push yourself to do what's good for you, and give it time. I can't stress that enough. Give yourself time to start feeling better. Work hard. And don't give in to your addiction. And work on you. And stuff around you will begin to fall in, in place. I don't want to discourage anyone. It's a big and scary world. But it's not going to stop for you. It's not going to change for you that you can change for you. You can change for the ones that you love and you can absolutely change the world around you and spread that message and motivate others to do the same. So maybe you can change the world.
1: One heart at a time. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Tyler, so much for sharing your story, for being vulnerable and open and for, you know, just for being you. You are a light in the world and I'm very happy that we met. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If there are any questions, if there's anything you would like to offer or say, or maybe perhaps you have a suggestion for a podcast for us to do next time, go ahead and reach out to us on social media, and we would love to have that conversation with you. Thank you, everyone. We love you. Have a good day.